Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we are looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I am Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast, once again, flying solo uh, without Matthew, but he will return. Do not fear. Today, we are talking about Minute 35, which begins with Jane talking about stars and ends with an empty hospital bed and no sign of Thor. Joining us on the show today, for the last time, sadly, we have Jay Shepard, owner of MCU Location Scout. Welcome, Jay. Hey, thanks, Andy. Glad to be back. So um, we're kind of wrapping up uh, the week here with this last little uh, journey back to the hospital. Any particular um, element of this whole week that stands out as like the moment for you that's like, oh, I just love this particular part of the movie? I don't know. The 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 whole because we're in a setup portion of the film here so there's uh you know a lot of interesting things that are going on that you know it it really hasn't the the film hasn't necessarily taken off by this point even though we're you know over half an hour into it but uh um yeah i, I like seeing thor humbled i guess i think that's uh an interesting aspect and you know something that uh, Marvel has done with a lot of their characters. It's taken these characters who start off, they're already at a very high echelon, whether they're a uh, arms manufacturer or a god of, you know, thunder uh, or <laughs> the storm or whatever, or, uh, you know, a, a brilliant brain surgeon or, or surgeon. Right. And, you know, they get reduced down to something what that they feel is beneath them and so that's always an interesting character journey it is uh, i think they do a great job with that uh, in these films um, so we'll be back in just a second to talk more about that in this particular minute we are an independent podcast from true story fm we love producing the show and spending time talking about thor every day but it does take time and cost money. Without our members, for whom we are eternally grateful, we couldn't keep it going. Membership means that we can deliver content to you without selling your information and your interests through podcast advertising sources. We like our privacy, and we know you do as well. If you're already a member, thank you so much. If you're not, please consider becoming a member for the season. It only costs $5 per month, or we offer a discounted price if you join at the annual rate. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to shows, access to live streams, stickers, and more. Plus, you get the comfort of knowing that you are supporting this independent podcast production. Visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute to learn more. Thanks. All right, we are back in Smith's uh, Smith Motors, and uh, we have uh, Jane finishing up her sentence. She is saying these are someone else's constellations, which is interesting because I mean, I'm I'm assuming she's just assuming that because they're just they don't line up with what she has seen before, so she's just assuming that that it's a uh, a wormhole, right? Right, and the fact that. You know, again, because of her job and what she does and all the equipment that she has, we could probably assume that her being able to look up at the stars would be like us being able to look at a map of the United States and know, for those that know your geography, uh, what state is what. And if something were to be rearranged, that you would realize that 
these are not our states yeah. or something like that. So like she can look up at the sky and know what's supposed to be there at any particular point. Now, my question here is, though, like, when would she have, like, been able to get a clean photo of the actual constellations? Because my my recollection of a few minutes ago, when the Bifrost opens up, I'm assuming that the moment the constellations are different and we're seeing through the wormhole is when the Bifrost opens and, and sends somebody through or pulls somebody away. There's so much light in the sky. Like it has all the swirling uh, kind of clouds up there in the sky. There's the giant rainbow yeah. coming down. Like it seems like would they be able to tell what constellations are through there? That, that's a good point because uh, the, this particular scene ends with the close up of the photo, which is just a wash in color and swirls and stuff. There is, there is, you know, and. You know, star photography is not one that can really be super blurry and get accurate representations. Uh, so, well, I think that's a different. I, I think that's a different photo because I think when she and and Eric are looking at a photo, um, that's different than the ones Darcy is printing to kind of hang up on the board. Because we certainly those ones are definitely like I mean, just photos, uh, or or maybe they're pulled from the video. I don't know, but of of what we see earlier, right? So maybe right. I mean, she has so much gear on the Pinsgauer, maybe there are some photos that are, I don't know, would an infrared camera read through light forms in the sky? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, she may, like, you're right, she may have other automated instruments that are kind of always looking, you know, so they can get that microsecond between opening and the whatever coming through yeah the miasma yeah because i i would imagine it's a very quick window it's not like yeah. it stays open for like 30 seconds or something right yeah right well and then and then as you pointed out darcy does notice something in the printouts that she's been hanging um i, I don't know for my money it's pretty obvious what we're looking at and it, it strikes me funny that they've taken so long to figure out oh there's a there's a human figure in this <laughs> Well, and the way that Branna lines it up in the cut, yeah. in the edit, between the photo and the hospital bed, uh, the shape, the humanoid shape in the photo, or or whatever the shape is in the photo, is imprinted <laughs> directly over the cut of where Thor is then laying down strapped in the bed. Right. Um Right. I think very much like a like a Hitchcock kind of shot where he would uh, cut between objects of similar shapes and or elements to, uh, you know, drive home some sort of thematic uh, edit. Yeah, it works great. It's a very um, uh, it's a fantastic cut, fantastically staged shot of moving into that um, image on the board to show the the body and then cutting to the hospital room that kind of that god's eye view looking straight down at thor strapped to the bed as he is uh kind of coming to consciousness once again to kind of struggle it's it's a great moment um and well and of course i mean we're we're jumping forward a moment but jane obviously she sees that figure takes the like the safety goggles off her head says i think i left something at the hospital and they all leave because they basically realize oh this wasn't just a drunk wandering around in the desert this was actually somebody yeah. who came down through this and so that's this is that moment where they realize we're dealing with something a little bigger right right um 
what I also uh, find interesting about that transitional shot, um, I know there's a deleted scene that right. uh, we'll probably talk about the the majority of it here in a moment, but the transition moment to that scene is again a push in on the bulletin board onto one of these red photos, but it is an entirely different photo, or, or it is a. It may be the same photo, but it is oriented differently. Correct. Like they printed it differently because it was going to a shot or it was going to a new sequence somewhere else. And there was no transition necessary for it. So when they decided, I guess, to make that edit, I feel like they went back in and reshot this close up to kind of uh, make that the edit that we see in the final cut work. I was thinking that same thing. I was like, they probably did that as in their reshoots. They probably said, you know, what? we don't need this, this extra scene here. Let's cut that. And then let's find a way to transition. Let's, let's redesign. Cause obviously it's not a real photo. They just jump in digitally redesign and move the man shape in the clouds and, and print it. And then they probably just timed it, you know, with the, with the position in the frame so that they'd push into it. And that would time exactly with the push in from that other shot. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very, effective. Very, very cool. It just adds, you know, again, some other little touch to the film that you don't have to have, but it just makes it a little bit more fun. Yeah. Interesting, you know, to watch. Yeah, right, right. It's great. Well, um, as we're about to jump into this transition, let's talk about that extended scene real quick, because it would have gone right here. This is a moment back in Asgard. We we as we find when we cut to it, we're in t- in one of the top balconies in the palace of Thor's of Odin's room. And as we see Odin standing there and Frigga comes in to confront him, very upset that uh, he has sent Thor um, away. He's banished Thor, sent him to Midgard and Frigga's just, you know, uh, you know, she's kind of the parent in this scene and he's kind of the king. What were you, what was your she's, take she's on this? Friggin particular furious. Scene? Yeah. She, yeah. Fr- Frigga friggin <laughs> furious. Yes. <laughs> I, I I'm glad uh, I at least get a a small moment here to talk about how much I love Anthony Hopkins in this role. Uh, his Odin is so he he just is so huge in his role, and when you can just kind of let Hopkins do his own thing and just be out there. I mean, obviously he's drawing from decades of uh, stage training for this. I mean, it, it again, it feels so Shakespearean uh, with these moments. I just I just love it, even though he's in all this armor. You know, he's got the wig and the eye patch on and everything like that. It doesn't seem to bother him as an actor at all. He's just he's going for it and that fills the entire frame. Oh, he's so much presence. And I mean, he's talked about how, uh, you know, he was at a point in his career where he kind of, you know, wasn't sure what was left. And and when when Brana wanted him on board, he said Brana pushed him to do things that he hadn't, uh, you know, really done. And it, it just gave him like this new breath of excitement about acting again. And I think that's. I think that speaks to him kind of like finding that fresh take because, I mean, wow, I mean, he's done a lot of amazing performances in the last decade. And um, and, and then also just to Brana as a director, especially like this Shakespearean director coming in to do a superhero film. Mm-hmm. I'm also oh, I'm always amazed every time I watch the Thor films at how non-distracting Rene Russo's English accent is like it. It's very 
subtle, I guess, or it just it's non-distracting. You know, there are some times when American actors uh, take on an accent yeah. and you, you may know that they are doing an accent. Um, but this just it, it it doesn't seem to bother me the way some other people would do. And, you know, of course, British actors do American accents all the time. And there's sometimes like. I didn't even know like Christian Bale was British. Oh, he's he's flawless you know? with his. Well, Chris Hemsworth in this film. I mean, he's kind of doing a Asgardian accent, we'll call it. But I I never yeah. pick up Australian. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, no, it's impressive, and I think Renee Russo does a great job here. And I guess that's where we can kind of all, if if it, if we have a hard time buying it, we're like, well, it's not really British; it's Asgardian, <laughs> right? <laughs> That is true. But she is trying to match uh, some of the cadence and stuff that Hopkins puts out. there. Sure, so, uh, sure. you know, obviously, I don't think he was doing anything other than no, his I, voice. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this is one scene. And again, another reason I'm glad they cut it. Um, and I, I guess I didn't pay attention to it as much. But this is because we see the two of them kind of interacting so much in this moment. I really feel like I noticed there's like a 17 year age difference between Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Um, and I mean, maybe it's just because his hair seems so white and lustrous in this particular moment, but, yeah, uh, it is one of those moments. Well, that's where Thor gets his hair from, I guess, <laughs> uh, from the dad side. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, and this, so a couple other things that, um, we've talked about, um, on the show when, when Odin is stripping Thor of his, of his rank and his title, he pulls some of his discs off and that was, you know, our sense of that and, and Brana referenced uh, the life of Emil Zola and the Dreyfus affair as kind of a, a reference point for kind of a military mm. stripping of the armor. And we thought it was interesting that it, I guess they're saying that these discs are actually part of the rank. And w- what's interesting is Thor has six discs on his armor front and Odin, as we see here, he only has four. And so I, I don't know what that would say about the ranking, but um, I guess it's mm. just an element of ranking, but not necessarily kind of like defining like what level you are or something. Right. Cause I, think trying to nail anything like that down uh you know if you it's like people looking into uh more military sci-fi yeah uh movies and trying to you know make something out of a uh costume designer's choice you know obviously the six discs on thor's armor very much just represent the six blue circles that um they always drew on his on his chest plate in the comic books exactly um which i think it's a great design style but they were able to adapt elements from the comics but without making it look comic booky it it all of the stuff that the mcu has done and and a lot of the recent dc films as well and and tv shows you know they are adapting these spandex costumes (laughs) that are outrageous and would never play as such um for directly from comic to screen um so they take those elements kind of like they did in the x-men movie where they had the uh leather outfits which i still am not super crazy about but you know they had the highlighted uh yellow piping um on them to help or blue piping i guess on some characters to you know indicate the coloring from their actual costumes from the from the comic books well and then they also use them as jokes too because it isn't in the first one where they're when they're flying around they're like what were these and it was like like they hold up the old costumes they're like oh that's what we used right. to wear or something like that like they find ways to play with that too yeah which is yeah and fun. uh and and there yeah wolverine had opened up a chest at some point and his old armor was in it or his old 
uh, yellow helmet was in it. Right. So. Yeah. Those those are always fun little nods. Yeah. Uh, m- much like uh, WandaVision, where they put yes. the characters in their comic accurate style uh, costumes. Right. So For real him. fun stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other little note that I have here that's interesting is is Odin says, you know, he pushed us to the brink of war. It, this is, the, I don't know, this is a point of contention that we've been debating about, like, the way that uh, that Laufey seems to see it is that Thor pushed them into war, not, not to the brink of war. Right. And, uh, but then Odin kind of takes everyone and, and leaves. And then Laufey, you know, he says that, you know, your son started this and, you know, we're not going to back down is basically kind of his attitude. Odin and uh, and all of them leave. And then Laufey just kind of sits around and we just kind of decided, well, maybe it was just the brink of war. Maybe it's just Odin, like, or maybe it's Laufey just playing good for his troops and just shaking his fist at him. I'll get you next time. Sort Posturing of thing. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Exactly. Um, well, Odin, as you know, we learn later, I mean, is the last one to point fingers and call names at anybody. I mean, he's he's like the worst <laughs> of them all yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. as you get into Ragnarok and everything like that. But, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of going back to the metaphor of, you know, the stern father trying to do what's best for the kid, but also saving face, because, I mean, this is this is not just a normal sort of family, right? This is a, this is a political family. This is a very public family. And, you know, the things that your kids do in, in private, uh, in families that are not public, you know, uh, like it's embarrassing, but you know, it's not that bad. But of course, in a situation like this, it, could, you know, it can lead to international incidents yeah. you know, between the realms. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it can't be very serious. And so it's one of those things where I feel like, I don't know, but part of me is like, I wonder if uh, Odin and Laufey just, they totally see the situation differently. Like that, that may just be the place that they're at, right? Laufey's ready for war. Odin's like, we're close, but we're not quite there. Next time I come down to Jotunheim, we'll talk about it some more once you've cooled down sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Who knows? Uh Yeah. Cross giant joke. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> ah, see? Uh, and then and then we have another reference to mortals here, where Frigga says, you know, abandon him amongst, amongst the mortals. And uh, so I thought that was interesting, because, you know, we we're always debating, are they just, do they just live a really long time, or are they actually immortal? Or do they kind of call themselves immortal just because they live for so long? I think it's more that. Yeah. Um, it's It's also kind of strange, because when you look at all the nine realms, like I was saying a few days ago, you know, Earth... Midgard is like the bastard nine realm, ninth realm, you know, it's like all these other realms are like, they've got magic and technology and aliens and, and all of this crazy stuff and giants and monsters and rock creatures and stuff like that. And then there's earth. So uh, right. it's, it's like, how did we get lumped in with, with all these other realms? What, you know, I don't know. Right. So many, it's weird. So many, much bigger things, and then there's us, right? Right. It, Earth is very much uh, Tatooine of, of this. You know, everything, like, we are the center. You know, Galactus wants to come here. Uh, this is where all the, you know, uh, Thanos wants to come here and take over. So, right. It's, we're much more important than we deserve to be. Clearly. Uh, yeah, it it's it's funny it just you know ties back to the old ways of thinking you know well everything revolves around us yeah (laughs) yeah very copernican exactly 
Well, so as far as deleted scenes go, it's like, eh, uh, I don't, I, I can see why they cut it. I don't really care for it. I mean, sure, Odin says Thor's fate is in his own hands now. We kind of already knew that. I like, I, I can see why they cut this. They're, we're just not getting anything new out of this scene. It, it, it does go back to Asgard just to remind us that there is something else going on because we do go for quite a while here. And I think they were maybe thinking, well, hey, we don't want people to forget that, you know, what's going on back home. Right. But as with kind of any hero's journey, we've now followed our hero here. We need to stick with him here. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to I think that's cooler heads prevailed on that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So then then as uh, you pointed out, we have this fantastic kind of God's eye view looking at Thor who wakes up strapped to a bed. And it's a it's a great shot. And one of my favorite things about it is that at the uh, kind of the opposite side of the room here um, from him, we see some red crocs uh, kind of under the chair. And I feel like that's a great little nod to kind of throw some red something red into here just to kind of like give us a, a nod to his uh, his cape, which he has uh, had torn from his body. But wow, I, that's a good catch. I have not noticed those before. I assume that they're meant to be kind of hospital shoes, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's just Usually a great little thing. Usually they give me socks uh, right. anytime I go in. Like, but... I know. When do, when do they throw Crocs at you? Never had that happen. Well, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I guess when you go to the county hospital, like I'm only going to my local maybe, city hospital. Maybe so. that's why. Maybe that's why. Yeah. So, uh, so Thor wakes up. Uh, I just love this look that Hemsworth gives. It's just such a great confused look and his, his not, it's not possible. Like he plays this so well. This is why I love Chris Hemsworth in the role because he, he handles all of this sort of stuff of like being this, this, you know, over the top, all powerful God and, and like demoted to human ranking and and just so confused by it like i just love the way he plays all of this and it's it's the it's the macho uh surfer jock dude from the 80s films that is stuck in the summer class with all the nerds <laughs> and he cannot believe what is going on so that's right i the the thing that also gets hammered home in this uh in this shot as we sort of like you said, started at this God's eye view, which is a really apt way to put it. And we sort of drift down towards him. Uh, I started the week talking about this. I'm going to go back to his eyebrows again. <laughs> they are so bleached out. It uh, actually looks like he doesn't have eyebrows yeah. as we are coming in on them just because they, they just, they blow out with the lighting. Yeah. They disappear. Uh, and I, I'm sorry. I, it just, it's so distracting. I, I, I want a special edition of Thor to come out. I'm <laughs> not one for having uh, directors going back and messing with their films. I mean, I, I, I understand if they're not happy with it, but you need to have the original version of your film, like at least live in some fashion or, you know, or give people a choice. Yeah. Not just right, make right. this special version, the new, the new version, but they need to go back and they need to kind of recolor those eyebrows digitally. Just do some digital grading, just a little touch up. It it would make all the difference. And then you could resell the box sets again. I'm telling Marvel Studios, they could make a ton of money on this. Hashtag the eyebrow cut. Give it to us, Kevin. We want it. <laughs> the fans are clamoring for it. <laughs> oh, I, I'm 100% in agreement with that. It's just, it is so distracting. Like through this entire film, I constantly have to keep telling myself, stop staring at the eyebrows. Stop staring at the eyebrows. <laughs> Pay attention to the story. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense. I mean, Feige said if they're, you know, of all of the films, when I can't remember when he was asked this, but he said the only thing that I, the only choice that I made in all of this that I wish that I could undo is, is bleaching uh, Chris Hemsworth's well, eyebrows. And, you know, they, they went against, you know, look uh, for numbers of characters. I mean, uh, I, Robert Downey Jr. does look like different aspects of Tony Stark as he's been drawn. But of course, once he was cast, then all renditions of Tony Stark look like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> right. um, now, of course, you went the opposite way with Sam Jackson, where um, they the um, Ultimate Universe drew Nick Fury as a, a black man that looked like Sam Jackson. And then they actually cast him <laughs> right. in that. So for them to, yeah, make this weird choice that, well, Thor is, you know, super blonde in the comics. And because he's, you know, Scandinavian, uh, then, and we've got this guy from Australia and stuff. I mean, just think what would have happened if, um, if uh, Hiddleston had actually been cast as Thor, you know, would it have been a wig? Would they have just dyed his hair? You know? Yeah, right, I, right. Well, I, I shudder to think what would have happened there, because then who would have played Loki? And that would have <laughs> right. been... that's not the one if we want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Thor is strapped down into the bed. He has a yellow wristband on. Now, according to hospital wristband color coding, that is actually for fall risks. And so I'm not exactly sure it's the right uh, the right one that they have on him. But then again, I looked at like the different color codes. I'm like, well, none of them really fit. I guess it would just be a white wristband, if anything. Um, I tried reading some of like, no, I mean, normal modern wristbands have barcodes on them. I didn't see a barcode. There's a ton of numbers. I couldn't figure out what any of the coding was. The only thing that's clear on the wristband is it does say XXX comma Thor. So that's first yep. name comma unknown last name. It does say M38. So I don't know. I mean, they're assuming he they know he's a man, but are they assuming he's 38? I don't know what that's for. And then possibly a doctor's name. It looks like a Zepfel comma D. Yeah. Dr. And some other numbers there after his uh, after his age. And I guess it could be a 38, but it could be a 36, too. Yeah, right. But something in the 30s, which also seems like they're overestimating his age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I or know. underestimating, technically, if he's an Asgardian who's hundreds exactly. of years old. Yeah, that's true. He's like, oh, you think I look that young? Oh, that's nice. That's Thanks. how sweet of you. Right. <laughs> well, that probably gives him the clue. Oh, this must be Midgard. <laughs> what i love this about this moment though is he's he's fighting so hard to get out of these straps and he can't because he doesn't have the powers of thor what i love though is he ends up slipping his hand out and this actually seems like a very loki-like maneuver wouldn't you say like this is he taking mm. taking cues from his brother here of kind of slipping his hand out yeah it, i guess it probably would be something new for him because um up to this point he would be able to use his strength to pretty much get him out of any situation yeah. but when the strength fails him, he then has to resort to, you know, something else. And uh, that is, uh, I, I I never really kind of put it together that way, but that is something he might have then thought about uh, as he was trying to wiggle his way out of there. He's like, oh, what would Loki do in a situation like this? WWLD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, but it's a great moment. And of course, then he, uh, we will have to figure out later what happens to him because now we're back. We're actually outside of the, uh, tell me the name of the building again. It's the Tony Ayana. Tony Anaya, Anaya building in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
Right. And so we're outside of that as we see Jane and Eric arriving. Darcy's following behind and they run in because now they are after this person that came down from the sky. And what I what I love about this next moment when we cut inside is they actually pass the window to that triage bay that we had seen earlier. And inside, we see people repairing all the damage that had been done. We see Nurse Terry <laughs> yeah. and Nurse Ron talking with the security officer about what had happened. And they realize, oh, crap, uh, our our little person has created quite a quite a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing you don't want because now, of course, people are going to notice if he goes missing. Yeah, even more than they might have before. Because hey, where'd the big six foot, you know, muscular blonde dude go to? Exactly, exactly. And Eric clearly realizes that this was Thor because he like instantly speeds up and like starts moving through the hallway that much faster to figure out we got to we got to get this guy and, and scoot out of here as quick as we can. <laughs> uh, and of course, that's when we get to the room. Find it empty. Great camera moves through this with steady cam and booms. Um, as we reveal that the bed is empty, we've got the uh, the little wrist straps kind of swinging by the sides there, and uh, that's where the minute ends. Oh, what's going to happen? Such a cliffhanger! Oh. Such a cliffhanger for this week. Um, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's a lot of fun stuff has happened this week. I, I mean, any last things about this particular minute that you want to talk about? Again, I really like that uh, editing transition. You know, yeah. you don't you don't see a lot of choices like that consciously made. I think Kenneth Branagh. Um, I I've been a fan of his f- films that he's directed um, going back, uh, you know, a couple decades here. Sure. So it's uh, definitely something within the realm that I would see him do. But making films is such a hectic thing that unless you are thinking about a lot of this stuff in advance to kind of be able to set that up. And, and, and I thought your point that maybe this was something that they added in reshoots. They obviously had the God's eye view kind of thing set up and they found an easy way to make that transition. But um, I think there's some other transitions here, you know, uh, in, in the, in the film as well, that kind of speak to that slightly more artistic ability and, um, just those kind of things that uh, Branna brings out. And, you know, he's not afraid to have his characters go broad um, because this is supposed to be kind of an epic story. But also, you know, he then has those moments where he can bring the camera in and, you know, get a little more intimate, like in the in the Smith Motors uh, section there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it speaks to um, uh, Stanley Kubrick, actually. He he kind of broke down a list of, of things that he felt were most important uh, in, in putting a film together. And number four was actually story. And then number three was character. Number two was context. And number one for him was transitions. And I think that's really interesting is like how you get from one thing to another um, is so cinematic. There's such an important element of that in in context of the story. And so I think that's interesting. Yeah, because the things that you can do in film, you know, you can't do in a book that you can't do in a comic. Right. Um, is is those transitions. It's the edit. It's the putting an image where another image just was. Yeah. And the way that we've all come to realize, well, we're cutting in between the same location or we're going somewhere entirely new and how do you do that and right there's nothing else like that because you can't it it, it doesn't mirror anything about reality because we all live in a continuous oneer. yeah you know there there is no edit (laughs) kind of sleeping is an edit i guess i suppose yeah yeah you go to sleep and you wake up but you're in the same place so yeah right right 
Uh, no, well, I mean, it's been a fantastic week talking with you about uh, these five minutes. So much juicy material in here. Uh, it was just a thrill. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, last time, do you want to uh, plug all of the wonderful places that people can find you and learn more about everything you're up to? Absolutely. Uh, if you are a into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, please check out mculocationscout.com, where I try to find locations from all the various MCU films, TV shows, and the like. Uh, we're we're pretty much caught up with everything there. As soon as I'm looking forward to Hawkeye, because as soon as that starts oh, yeah. coming out, putting that stuff in there as well on a on a weekly basis, which gets a little challenging sometimes. <laughs> and for everything else I'm working on, you can go to retrozap.com. And you can find my podcasts there. I've got Superhero Suite, about everything about superheroes, talking about different movies, TV shows, comics, characters, um, all sorts of fun stuff that uh, comes out on a biweekly basis twice a month. And uh, on, on months that have a fifth week, a fifth Thursday, we do special commentaries on movies. Uh, the last one we just did was the Fantastic Four for their 60th anniversary uh, back in September. Um, so that's fun. Uh, also got, uh, Scarlet Velocity, a flash podcast, which is an after show for the uh, CW TV series, which we've been doing for seven years there. And, uh, we've also got enjoy stuff, which is a show about finding the fun and everything, looking at pop culture kind of throughout the years. And then I've also got articles about film, about sci-fi films called sci-fi Saturdays. And you can also find some MCU Location Scout articles that I write at RetroZap.com, kind of expanding on some of the elements from MCULocationScout.com. And then in October, I'd also done a 31 Days of Horror, so a weekly, or excuse me, a daily look at uh, horror films, which is uh, always fun. Fantastic. There's so much good stuff to dig around in there. So uh, so check all that out and see what Jay is up to, everybody. Um, as for me, uh, well, as, as Matthew would say, thanks all of you for your support. Have a good day. And as I would say, until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 